having gone to Monroe Catholic Central in Michigan, I was sophomore year and Father Bill was our religion teacher. And I remember this passage about the wineskins. I always remember this. And Father Bill was a very fun priest. I, I, I always enjoyed him. And I remember him, we read this and he says, so what does this passage mean? And he looked around, he would just randomly call on <clears throat> different students there. We were in all boys school at the time. And that happened to be the time he called on me and he says, Chris, what, what do you think this passage means? And I'll never forget, I responded, Father, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> it's so confusing. Like I had no idea what it meant with the wineskins. Do they want it old? Do they want new? I'm confused here. It's really not too confusing, but I wanted to start with a part of the fasting before we get to the wineskins. All right. <clears throat> You have to first understand what a Jewish wedding was like. A Jewish wedding lasted an entire week. It wasn't just an afternoon. It would be an entire celebration. It's kind of like the octave when we talk about a feast in Jewish tradition that is so big, it's not celebrated in one day. It is celebrated over eight days. And in the church, we have the octave of Christmas, which is when from Christmas Day to New Year's Day. But we also have in the biggest celebration of the church, the octave of what? Easter. And when is the octave of Easter? From Easter Sunday, eight days later, Divine Mercy Sunday. So this is a little mini octave that's going on in the Jewish tradition. So their weddings lasted a whole week and the eating never stopped. I would have loved to have been part of that. So the Jewish couples, they didn't even take a honeymoon. There was no such thing. There was no such thing as a honeymoon. They stayed home with family and friends for that entire week. They dressed in their best. Sometimes they even wore crowns. And so this is how they celebrated. For that whole week, the bride and the groom were king and queen. And basically, their word was law. Whatever they said, the people did. That was true community. It really was. You know, when I was young in Holly, Michigan, I remember we lived on a, a road that people would come together. We played softball games. You know, we would have cookouts. Every night, the chairs would come out and the kids would play and the parents would talk. And then I get to be an adult and I move and it's just like the neighbors don't even know each other's names. It's kind of sad. And so our Lord here is showing us about the need for that community. So the wedding time was about that. And it was a time you feasted. There was a celebration, eating and you know, not gluttony. We don't want to do that. But then there was a need for fasting. That time came. So it's kind of like us. When we first find Jesus, especially if you're a convert, I get a lot of letters from, from people who are converts. God bless you. But when you first find Jesus, it's all about consolation and delight. I'll never forget when my reversion in North Carolina, when I really came strong back to my faith. Have you heard me say, I've always been Catholic, technically, but I really didn't live my faith till I got to North Carolina. God bless the non-Catholics down there because it was their fire and their zeal that put me in fi on fire. 
I was like, holy mackerel, look at, look at the zeal and the love of God of these people. They were all Baptists. I think we have a lot to learn from them. And so anyway, the, when you first come to Jesus, it's all giddy, consolation, it's all delight. It's like a, being a newlywed. And the newly, when you're first newlywed, it's everything's good, right? <laughs> the other reality hasn't set in yet. But then, and this, and this is basically a time for joy, all right? But then there comes a time where reality sets in. And here with even Jesus, when we come to Jesus, this is great. We're going to be all giddy, full of joy and consolation. But then there should come a time where the reality of sin sets in. And now there's some sorrow. There's some mourning over sin because we hurt the one we love. Just like a spouse, when you're all giddy in the honeymoon, there's going to come a time where you hurt each other. And so that time that comes when you hurt each other should be a realization of, ah, wake up, let's start over, let's regroup, let's sit down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that's what we have to do with our Lord. There comes a time that we got to be giddy and all joyful and Lord is blessing me and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. There's a time for that. But non-Catholics usually stop there. God bless them. But Jesus is telling us there comes a time where we then have to sit before him and sometimes lower our head in humility and say, Lord, I have failed you. I am sorry. And we recognize our sin and that brings mourning. And when that happens, fasting is a way to atone for that. Fasting is a way to give that active way of mourning over sin and retribution, atonement. So Jesus was with them. That's the time of feasting. But then he left them. He was crucified and ascended to the resurrected and ascended to the Father. That's the time of now without him. Now it's only temporary, but it's a time of mourning. You know what it's kind of like on our church calendar? What is Christmas? Christmas is a time of celebration, like we'll have in heaven. But what comes before Christmas? Advent. People don't realize Advent's actually a penitential time. It's expectation, preparation, but it's also a time of penance. A better example is Easter. The resurrection is what we're going to celebrate with our bridegroom in heaven. Our feast is heaven. Our wedding feast is, you've heard me say about the mass. The mass is the wedding feast. We are the bride, Christ is the groom, and that will be forever in heaven. But what happens before that? We walk in the valley of tears. We carry our cross. Easter is the joyful resurrection, but what came before Easter? Lent. A time of reflection, mourning, penance. Doesn't Catholic guilt... It's our time of the cross so that we can experience the glory of the resurrection. This is the meaning. So fasting is a way to do that. Fasting is a way to share in Christ's sufferings. But however, don't be like the Pharisees, all gloomy, where they walk around, gee, I had to fast today. You know, no. What is it St. Teresa of Avila said? She said, it should not be gloomy. She said, a sad saint is a bad saint. That's what St. Teresa of Avila said. So have joy knowing that your journey of Christ will come to a glorious end. 
So it's just like kind of an athlete. We used to hate practice because we had some tough coaches in wrestling. I played wrestling, football, baseball, and we had some tough, tough coaches. And we just, oh, I would be so happy when practice would end. <laughs> but then you got into the game and you're like, it's all worth it. This is what our faith is about. So trials and sufferings have a purpose, you know, and this is it. Now, Jesus is not against fasting. He's not, now he says we're not going to fast, but he's not against fasting because one might deny himself things that are good to deny. You know, things that we like, we can deny for discipline. Um, it is absolutely to be certain that we master things in our life, that they don't master us. Are you a slave to food? Are you a slave to money? Are you a slave to power and reputation? Are you a slave to sex? Are you a slave to, to being in control? Are you a slave to having everything go perfectly? Jesus is saying, no, sometimes we have to detach from this. Detach. That's why fasting is good. We break that attachment. Now, it doesn't mean that you can live without food. No. It's just that the spirit cannot be controlled by the flesh. And so to make sure that we never grow to love these things of the world more than God, God wants us to be able to practice a little bit of giving them up. It's penitential, not necessarily bad. And so one might deny ourselves comforts. Um, one of the guys we're interviewing for our, our uh, writer position he was so funny because he was going to come visit us. And so we were trying to arrange for him to stay in our old convent here on the property. And he, he laughed. He said, now, uh, I would be happy to stay there, Father, for a night, but I've stayed at convents before. He says, a lot of times they're really, really cold because the sisters turn down the heat for mortification. He says, I don't do too well with that. <laughs> so I said, don't worry, we won't turn down the heat on you. So maybe that's one that you do. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're not so good with fasting, medical reasons, but you could give up a TV show. These are all little things that we can look at doing. And so this is the best thing for us to do in our spiritual life. Maybe not the best, but it is a important part of our spiritual life. All right. Now, one of the best ways to appreciate God's gifts is to actually do without them for a while. Now, I've been back and forth on my feeling of the daily Eucharist. Since the earliest 20th century, the church has encouraged daily reception of the Eucharist. When I was going through my reversion, I was against that because I thought it doesn't, anything that you have too much of too every single day, you lose appreciation for it. The old church used to only receive communion rarely. And it wasn't to the beginning of the 20th century that Pope Pius decided to enact daily communion. And I used to think there was wisdom to that beforehand, not having daily communion, because then you, you learn to appreciate it more. The more you go without something, the more you appreciate it when you have it. And then it came to realize to me, it's not that way with God's grace. We need God's grace every day. We need Holy Communion every day. So that's the one exemption. <laughs> and so this is very important. So we might, again, 
deny ourselves comfort so we appreciate them better when we have them, but not God's grace. That we need every single day. Now the Pharisees, they took advantage of this. The Pharisees would make those faces all miserable and, and they were trying to draw attention to themselves. This is not what we want to do. You know, um, they felt that this special act was super pious and they had this piety and it would bring them to be noticed by God. Mm -mm. And this is where I want to finish because the, the, the whole talk about the wineskins makes sense here. Now, when Father Bill called on me my sophomore year in high school, I had no idea what the meaning of these, these wineskins have. But if you read the church fathers, you'll see what it means. Now, here's what the church fathers say. All right, what is this whole meaning of new wine, old wine, new wineskins, old wineskins? What is our Lord telling us? All right, according to the church fathers, new wine, new wine now, cannot be put into old skins because the old skins dried up, they tightened, they're no longer elastic. So they're kind of inflexible and elastic because they are older. Now what happens is you put new wine in there and what does wine do over time? It ferments. So there's this gaseous reaction. And so it will expand. The problem is when the wine ferments and expands and the gases, you're inside an old wine skin and there's now it's dried up and it's tightened, it's inelastic, it's, there's no room. So what happens is it cuts it, it tears it, doesn't do any good. So a new cloth, which Jesus says use new wine skins, has not been shrunk yet. So when the garments, like, okay, you've been outside, if you wash your shirt for the first time, it gets wet and then you dry it, what happens? It shrinks. And so this is what's going on here. So when the garment got wet in the rain, for instance, and dried, it shrunk. And so this is what's going on with the wineskins. So being much stronger than the old, the new patch would tear the old wineskin. And so new skins were better. They were elastic. These new skins could stretch is when they grew old that they became hard and unyielding. That's why religious life doesn't always take older men. You know, I was in my 30s when I came, and many communities I, I went to before the Marians. Before I knew I was to be a Marian, I went to a couple other communities that I wanted to go to. God made it very clear that I wasn't to be at those other communities. When I went to those other communities, there was two in particular. They said, you're too old. You've had your own business. You've lived on your own. You've owned your own home. You were engaged to be married. Sorry, you're set in your ways. You're inelastic. I said, Father, you don't even know me. He says, by the fact you're arguing with me shows you're inelastic. <laughs> so I took that as God's will. Then I went to the second place. And they told me the same thing. I said, geez, I'm only in my 30s. You're too old. You're set in your ways. There's some wisdom to that. Then I came to the Marian fathers and all the doors opened. All the, the avenue to me entering into religious life, becoming a priest opened up one after another. And I said, wow. 
Lord, this is how you show us your will. When the doors close, it's not what you want for us. When those doors open, <coughs> that's what you want for us. And so this is what I saw. And so this is what's happening. And so a new cloth, and, and this is the whole important thing. It's kind of, it's interesting because the, here's the lesson. Why am I telling you all this? The lesson is our minds. Our minds must be elastic. They must be enough, elastic enough to receive certain new ideas. You ever wonder why a child can learn a new language so much better than an adult? It's fascinating. We adults are learned and we're educated and we know grammar structure. It would seem much easier for an adult to learn a language. My gosh, that is one talent I do not have. I struggled through French in high school. I just don't have the talent for languages. Yet a little kid. I saw this little girl here, I think it was about four or five years ago at the shrine. This little tiny girl. She starts talking to her mom in Spanish. She answers me in English. And she turns around and she's talking to her cousin in Portuguese. She was like five. I was like, holy mackerel. That's the gift of a child. Their mind is elastic. It's able to take in new ideas and new things. It's not filled like our hard drives. Our minds are filled. You know what? Einstein didn't even know his own phone number. When they asked Einstein for his phone number, he said, I don't know. You're going to have to look it up. They said, what? He said, yeah, because I only have limited amount of space in my brain and I'm not going to use it up for something that can easily be referenced like that. I was like, maybe that explains Father Allen. Every time I ask him for his cell phone, he doesn't know it. And I said, don't you ever give your number out to anybody? Don't you ever give it out? He says, well, I never call myself. So there is some truth to that. So to finish, be like that. Be like a child. The religious outlook of Jesus was so startling new, they could not adjust to it. They could not grasp Jesus saying, I'm feasting when they were fasting because their minds were like the wineskins. They were inelastic. They couldn't open up to new things. And so they couldn't adjust. So just like there is a time for feasting, there is a time for fasting. There is a time for old and a time for new. It's like the covenants. There was a time for the Old Testament where God, we were like little children and God had to swat us on the hand, no, no, no. The Old Testament's like a child that a parent has to teach, don't touch the stove, don't run in traffic. No, no, no. But then there comes a time for the new covenant when that child grows older. And now all of a sudden it's about son. You have to do this. You have to love and respect your spouse. You have to love and treat your children right. It's about do, do, do. So there's a time for the old. There's a time for the new, like the wineskins. And so this is the whole thing about traditionalists and modernists in the church. We're always at odds. What they call the rad trads, the radical traditionalists, and the modernist liberals are always at each other. Now, what's interesting, too, is how Benedict answered this. Pope Benedict addressed this. He said there's something called the hermeneutic of continuity. What is that? Basically, we need both. The old serves a purpose and it helps grow us into the new. You can't reject either form of the mass. 
You may prefer one, that's fine. You may feel the extraordinary form has more reverence, that's just fine. That is a gift from God and it should always be allowed. But if you are one who rejects completely the Novus Ordo Mass, mm -mm. both Masses are of infinite grace from the church given by God. Whether you prefer the ordinary form, the Novus Ordo, or the extraordinary form, the Trinitine Mass, both are full of infinite grace. You cannot reject either one of them. You can prefer one and attend one over the other, but you can't reject it. We get a lot of letters saying the Nova Sordo Mass is of Satan. That's insane. No. And we have other people say, oh, that's so pre-Vatican II, that's ancient, it no longer applies. No. Hermeneutic of continuity. So anyway, I know I keep saying finishing, but just a couple last things. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure what is old and what is new. Matthew 13, 52. Jesus tells us we need what is both old and new. We would be impoverished if we only had the Old Testament and not the new. And we would un not understand the new if we only had the new and not the old. We need both. So Jesus wants our minds and our hearts to be like new wineskins that can open up, stretch, and receive his new teaching. So the quote that I now officially finish with is from J.A. Finley. And he said, when you reach, and he's talking about in life, when you reach a conclusion, you're dead. What did he mean by that? What he meant was that when our minds become fixed, I am set now, this is what I have concluded, I will not consider or open myself up to any other possibilities. I'm set in my ways, unable to accept any new truth or complete new ways. J.A. Finley says, we are physically alive, but mentally dead. And so I think that's the message, sorry, long-winded message, that Jesus wants to teach us in today's scripture. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. 
Sign-up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.